podcast with me phil and me paul and on this week's show we're going once again into the world of target novelizations and this time we've selected the image of the fendal written by terence dix uh but first i think before we actually get onto the news a little apology for the little screw up with the publishing of last week's podcast it, it went, went a bit wrong didn't it it did. Yes. Um, and, and if we have the same problem this week, then we're just going to ring up our listener and tell him what we've got to say, I think, rather than <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, we haven't got the number for our other, our other listener, so um, uh-huh. we, we do apologise. <laughs> we'll just, we just send him a letter with what we've said. What, what a, a telegram, do you mean? <laughs> we'll yes. Say, yes, we'll send a telegram. That, that'll do, because we're, we're a traditional, old-fashioned podcast here. But, so let's get on with the news first. Um, now... BAFTA um, have awarded Doctor Who to gongs at their Television Craft Awards. Is, is this another made-up one? Um, I'm not sure, really, because I, I wasn't really overly aware of this. Me as neither. A, an awards before. I don't know whether this is just that they've separated what's considered a craft from the big event, so mm. to speak, um, to try and give them a bit more of a uh, credit. A bit more of a window for opportunity, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's a bit more of the limelight. Yes, now, um, basically, the 50th anniversary special Dad the Doctor won a special visual and graphic effects title with Milk VFX, Real SFX and the model unit being named in the citation, as it says here. And also An Adventure in Space and Time, a one for makeup and hair design with uh, Vicky Lang named in the citation. Hooray, well done. Yes. Well done. I I, I think the um, for the Dad the Doctor, that's very, very deserved. I think yes. actually very much deserved. Um, I didn't realise it was actually sort of there were two sort of SFX companies, Milk VFX and Real FSX. X. So I can't get my teeth in tonight. Um, uh, involved there? I didn't know. No, we knew about Milk, but not. Yeah, not the Real SFX one. But uh, yeah, well, is Milk Milk is the CGI and yeah, Real FX. Yeah, I can't say it either. <laughs> It's a real it's tongue catchy. twist. It's catching, isn't it? It's a real tongue twist. That you, one, real SFX. You won't be able to say it after listening to this podcast. Yeah, well, our listener be able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, apparently this says. It is better if we write stuff down. And I think it, it might be, actually. I think we'll just start a blog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now this ended uh, a seven year run of being nominated in the uh, special visual and graphic effects title category, uh, but they've always lost previously. So this is their first, um, the first win. I had to win it, really, for the 50th anniversary episode. Oh, it had to, didn't it? Now, also nominated in the entertainment, uh, for for Entertainment Craft Team, I should say, was the Doctor at the Proms uh, 2013. Uh, they lost out to Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway. Um, Adventure in Space and Time had also been nominated for Costume Design and Editing uh, in the Fiction category, but that was pipped to the post by Downton Abbey and The Fall. Um, I don't know what The Fall is. No. It rings a bell, but I can't put a, I can't place what it is. I just can't place what it is. But um, though the Doctor and Adventure in Space and Time have been um, nominated in the TV BAFTAs, where um, Adventure in Space and Time has been nominated for single drama, and though the Doctor is up for the Radio Times Audience Award. Yeah. Uh, and that will be an, uh, announced on Sunday the 18th of May. 
So. It's interesting. If you want to know, know, know how these two, how the, the television craft awards and how the TV BAFTAs, what the pecking order is in that, look at where those held, the two ceremonies are being held. All right. Um, One okay. was the brewery in London, for the craft, <laughs> television craft awards, and for the TV BAFTAs, it's the Theatre Royal, Drury Lane. <laughs> Maybe it was craft beers. <laughs> uh, do you know what? That sounds like a bloody good venue for a, an award like ceremony, actually. <laughs> proving someone could organise something there, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche. <laughs> okay, now, next up in the news. Um, I don't know why this has um, sort of come, come up, but obviously in, uh, I think it's Doctor Who magazine, issue 473... Uh, Stephen Moffat explained the very, very short John Hurt to Christopher Eccleston regeneration. Um, now, basically, he said the main reason it was short and you couldn't see the Ninth Doctor's face properly was human decency. Now, I should, I should elaborate on that. Yeah, uh, right. Yes. Is <laughs> uh, Eccleston's top that badly? <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, he said it was, it was one thing to include Christopher Eccleston among all the archive doctors as they flew in to save the day. Uh, he said, in fact, it would have been disgraceful to have left anyone out. But placing him in that scene might have given the impression that he'd actually turned up for filming, which would have been crossing the line. Which I think is a fair yeah. point. Yeah, I, I yeah. can say that. Because, um, oh, who was it? Um, we saw someone interviewed and they said they were surprised that it ended where it ended, the regeneration scene, because there'd, there'd been a lot more done, which mm. must have been the full transformation. Must have been, yeah. And obviously, after they'd done it, they obviously decided, no, hang on a minute, this looks like it has been shot specially. And it's not fair on him. If he doesn't want to be in it, it's not fair on him just to try and sneak him in through the back no, door, that's so right. to speak. that's right. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd liked what they did, really. I know some people complain, you know, it got cut short. You wonder whether they asked him. Did they go back to him and say, look, we can do this, do you mind? Don't know. Don't know. Well, basically, or did they just say where well, he said no? So we're not going to have him. Yeah, I mean, there there is a little bit more um, to this interview. Uh, Stephen Moffat says not taking part in the fiftieth was a difficult decision for Chris, taken after a lot of thought and with great courtesy, and not respecting his wishes would have been grossly unprofessional and disrespectful to a good man and a great doctor. Number nine may not have turned up for the celebrations, but there would have been no party without him. So I think that that says it all. And I, I personally, I like the the hint. That they gave it, he was starting to regenerate yeah. into Eccleston. I I liked it as it is. Yeah. To be honest, I didn't walk away uh, disappointed at all. No. From that, certainly not. I know, yeah, and you, you can understand why. Totally. I, yeah, I think that there's there's good reasons for it. Actually, yeah. there's very good reasons. Uh, now on to uh, future Doctor Who, and uh, more writers have been announced for Series Eight. Now, I think there was a... Wasn't there a photograph on Twitter of the two of them at, at their um, script readings, or script read-throughs, I should say? Yes. Uh, first up is Peter Harness, who's written for uh, Volander, Case Histories, and it says the upcoming Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which I've got absolutely no clue what that is. A lot of people are getting very, very excited about this Jonathan Strange um, adaptation. I know absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, it's slip through. Yeah, I, I think it... <laughs> my, my very wide net. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think my, my... That didn't really catch a lot. No, me neither, me neither. Um, but apparently, Harness describes his story as a rather crazy one. Right. Yes, okay. Now, the other writer announced is Jamie Matheson, and he's previously worked on episodes of Being Human, 
as well as uh, an episode of Dirk Gently uh, and fre- frequently asked questions about time travel and the upcoming uh, E4 pilot alt. So I don't know what uh, no. what that is about. Uh, frequently asked questions about time travel. That rings a bell as well. Yeah, it rings a bell with me. Again, I my my it escapes me. It escapes me. So, um so those two writers joined Stephen Moffat, Phil Ford, Mark Gaty, Steve Thompson and Gareth Roberts in the lineup so far. I don't know if there's that maybe there's more to come. Who knows? Who knows indeed. Okay. Uh well that's about it for the news, isn't it? It's another another short news week. However, though, we do have bags of time for a quick trip over to Omega's Tat Corner. You pester me with trinkets! Now, we have two items of tat for you this week. Uh, shall we start off with the um, the 11th Doctor vinyl statue? Yes. Yes. Now, um, you found this one, didn't you, Paul? Um, well, just generally, just had a quick look on Forbidden Planet. It wasn't exactly hiding. <laughs> no, they never want to hide a light under a bushel, are they, Forbidden Planet? Um, yes, this is the Doctor Who 11th Doctor Dynamix vinyl statue. Uh, basically, um, let, let me read the um, the accompanying blurb that comes with it. Um, it says, This um, vinyl figurine collection offers fans unique interpretations of their favourite characters for the world's longest-running sci-fi TV show. And this Doctor Who 11th Doctor Dynamix vinyl statue is no exception. Uh, now, previously they had released a 10th Doctor one, hadn't they? Yes. Uh, character to continue. It says, whether devouring fish fingers in custard, warding off invading Daleks with a jam-filled biscuit, aren't they allowed to say jammy dodger? <laughs> so obviously good, there's obviously some sort of advertising thing there, isn't there? <laughs> isn't there? Um, or saving the universe whilst wearing a fez, the 11th Doctor was a formidable adversary. Uh, sonnet screwdriver, ready for action. The raggedy man is perfectly captured in all his glory. Switch out heads, one with his trademark quiff and the other wearing his fez. Uh, yes, they are cool, it says in brackets here, and offer different display options. Uh, it's produced in a limited edition of 3,000 pieces. Each figurine comes with a display case and is packed in a TARDIS-themed window display box. Mm. <laughs> now, that is uh, due for release on 30th of October this year, so it's still quite a way to, to wait yet. Oh. But... Um, but that is going to retail for £59.99p. I've got no idea of how big that is. Either. No, it doesn't say... And there's no size at all, is there? No. Nothing. Um, this has been manufactured from Big Chief Studios, so maybe there is a little bit more information uh, on the Big Chief Studios website. Who knows? But, um, I mean, we'll, we'll pop this one up onto the um, onto the Facebook group, uh, I, th- I think, because... Um, it's difficult to describe what this figurine looks like, isn't it? I mean, if, if people know what the 10th Doctor one looked like, they'll probably have a, a pretty good idea what this 11th Doctor one yeah. is, is going to end up looking like as well. Um, it's almost the, like a... The an, 10th Doctor one looks like he's still wearing his pyjamas, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. It's a very, very bright blue, isn't it? Um, and that looks like that was eight inches tall. Ah, right, OK. Doctors, I presume that the, this, is this gonna one be, is the same. Yeah, I would assume so. I would assume so. Um, Got a very haphazard way of building stuff. Yes. Now, I, I think this is... What's the best way to describe what this looks like? It looks like a, uh, like a, a cartoon version of the 11th Doctor, doesn't yes, it? Yes, if, if Pixar did Doctor Who, this is, what we, this is what you'd have, isn't it? Perfect. That's a perfect description. That's it. A Pixar Doctor Who. Ah, oh, yes. You heard it here first, folks. Pixar, no, they're not doing Pixar, aren't doing Doctor Who. Don't get your hopes up. Uh, right, okay. Now, lastly, in Tat Corner. Now, I think this has been covered on um, 
various other podcasts. I think in particular, uh, Radio Free Scurry last week's when they interviewed Mark uh, Mark Ayers. Uh, but the Doctor Who Tireless edition of the Doctor Who soundtracks um, are being released, and it's available for pre-order. Uh, it's going to be released on the 9th, actually, no, tell a light. The pre-order will be live from 10am on the 25th April, which is now, and will end on the 10am on the 9th of May. So you've got until Hi. next Friday uh, to, get, to get your pre-orders in. And the release date for it is the 25th of July. Now, I've got to be honest, this does look rather nice. Yeah. You just sort of, yeah. I'm very tempted with this one. It's 11 discs. It covers um, all 11 uh, Doctor's uh, soundtracks. And it comes in a fantastic wooden TARDIS display uh, case with a flashing uh, TARDIS light on the top as well. Uh, and again, I think I'll pop this up onto the onto the Facebook group because it it does look lovely. To be honest, yeah. it really does. Um, now this is going to retail for one hundred and thirty five pounds. It's a lot of money. That, that that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Now that admittedly, it, that that one hundred thirty five pound is just for this TARDIS edition. I don't know what the like a normal release is going to be, but this is one hundred and thirty five pounds. But it it does look nice. Now they seem to be. Um, shipping across the world for this but the uk um postage is 10 pounds to europe it will cost you 36 pounds and rest of the world a whopping 55 pounds postage yeah that's yeah it's a a lot of money it is that is a lot of money now i mean just to actually there's just far too much stuff to um to go through Really, because it just about it covers. An- I heard this earlier, and I thought, I wonder if you're going to try and redo it all out. No, I'm not. Because you- I can go and have a coffee. Something. <laughs> you could disappear for the rest of the week, and I'll still be sitting there going through it. Honestly, there is so much stuff here. I mean, it, it goes right through from Unearthly Child, uh, right up until um, the name of the, uh, the day of the. That's the day of the moon. It says here actually, but the name of the Doctor. All the yeah. way up to there, so it, it doesn't include the 50th anniversary. But I think, um, oh, it's not complete, then I'm not buying it. <laughs> that's it, done already. No. Old, old time of the doctor, oh, I'm not buying it, that's it. Um, if no. I, yeah, if I'm paying that sort of money, I want them to send me discs as new, episode, new <laughs> series comes out. I just add to my collection. That's it, it's not complete, I'm not buying it. The, that's it, end of. Um, yeah, I, I think that is, um, I do have to think that is incredibly. Incredible value for money, I really do. If you just look at the track listing, and again, we'll pop this up onto the Facebook group so you can have a you can have a look and see and see what uh, what you're getting for your for your spondulics because yeah. um, I'm really tempted. I've got to be honest, I'm really tempted with this. But uh, there we go, there we go. So that is it um, for this week uh, with the news. So coming up next is our review of the target novelisation of the image of the Fendal. So for another week, then. That was the news. Okay, everybody, it's time once again for us to return to the world of Doctor Who in print. And it's time for another Target novelisation review. And this time it is The Image of the Fendal, which was originally written for the TV by Chris Boucher. And the novelisation was written by Terence Dix. Now, the last Terence Dix book we did, we didn't particularly like, did we? No. No. And sort of before I, whilst I was in the 
sort of the process of sort of getting stuff together for for this recording. I was trying to find a little bit more information about the novelisation, and there's nothing on the uh, TARDIS wiki site at all. There's um there's an entry for it, but no information. So I've got no history about what how this book was written, how quickly it was written, um, etc. etc. Uh but what I will say is I loved it. Yeah, I'm not gonna disagree with you on that one. Yeah, I loved it. Um it doesn't deviate well really not at all from the from no. the televised yeah. version, does yeah. it? The only the only thing the only time I was disappointed actually was when I picked it up and realised it was only about ninety pages. Yeah. Because then you're thinking this isn't really going to deviate that much. No, no, the, the, uh, there wasn't a lot to it, to be honest. But I mean, that's not a criticism in this case. No, I got to be honest because I think I think I mean, I've always loved Image of the Fender, and that's one of the reasons you picked this book because it's one of your favourite stories, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and so I was really looking forward to reading it, and I've got to be honest. I think I don't know. If, it wasn't because it was such a slight read that I was able to finish it quickly. It was just the fact that I wasn't able to put it down. It was that sort of thing. I mean, it, it, the pacing of the book, the, the pacing actually, I think of the of the story is pretty good anyway. But the yeah. book, sometimes the books either in some ways seem either the, as if you feel they're either hurried or they're just waffling on. Mm. But this one really did just get the pace right of it, didn't it? Oh, it did. I mean, it, it was just a, a good old fashioned uh, adventure story. Yeah, really. It, there was no sort of uh, let up in the in the pace whatsoever. Pretty much like the TV version, um, if I'm honest. Uh, but yeah, it, it was just a, a cracking read. It really was a cracking read, and it it I felt really it it as we said, it didn't really um, deviate at all. It didn't add anything extra to the story. But I still felt it it was very very atmospheric. It was it was very very gothic in nature as the um, as the te- televised version uh, was or is, I should say. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, and, you actually... and, and it's one of the last great gothic horrors that Doctor Who did, really, isn't it? You've got a gr- good feeling of the size of the, the building, which actually, on when you watch it on the TV, it was only two corridors, <laughs> but interlinked, wasn't it? There's about three rooms, weren't it, they used? Yeah, and a very, oh. and a very, very basic crypt, wasn't it? So... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was no. I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, I think he he captured uh, the fourth Doctor fantastically in this. I think he really did. He, he sort of you you could um, the way. Okay, I, I say the dialogue didn't deviate at all. Really, did it? No, from the from the televised one. And but you you did get sort of a more of um. It, it sort of gave away a bit more. Where the Doctor was sort of pulling Leela's leg or he was sort of smiling at her a bit more which maybe Tom Baker didn't do he made little changes like that I think he tried to sort of soften the fourth doctor a little bit there was and actually compared also I have to say actually I think Leela comes across much stronger in the book than she does on the TV there's a few bits where in in the book she does stuff off of her own back but in the TV it's sort of she's told to do it by the doctor yeah, I think particularly the one where the doctor's put his hand on the skull and yes. can't move. Yeah, she runs in and she in the book she's you you get her internal thoughts about she mustn't touch the doctor because then she the the energy may pass through him to her and she'll be stuck. And she realizes to push the chair away, whereas in the TV in the actual uh, episode, the the doctor tells her not to touch him. 
That's absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, and I it, think it was much better for that. As well, it was. It it highlights. Yeah, it does. It highlights Lisa's intelligence, doesn't it? Yeah. Because she was always. I think it, it's that thing where she was. Um, they've always said it was like that Pygmalion, a thing between her and, and, and the Fourth Doctor, yeah. and it does show that she's she's learning. Yeah, she, she's well, gone, well, she, that she was intelligent. She just wasn't educated. That's, that's it. She's the, gone from that that savage. Yeah, and she's sort of picking up things. She's, she's you can tell from the book she's learning from the doctor. Yeah, you know he's she, he's opened her mind to other things. I, I thought you're absolutely right. She does come across a lot better in the book. She really does. And I quite liked in the in the book you get the the fact that her and the country folk, whether it be Jack or Ted mm. are good at going, being stealthily around each other. Yeah, which you would sort of expect. They, they, so they're sort of a hint into that sort of poacher aspect, yeah. are they? <laughs> yeah. Uh... Where she captures Ted early on, and then later on he's moaning about the, the fact that the the guards couldn't catch him because he was too clever for them. Yeah. But like she was obviously shows that she's another level up from that. <laughs> and the only probably person, the only one who's close to her was Jack, who. They both heard stuff when they was in the cottage. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, what did you think of the sort of the characterizations of uh, the Tylers? Not not Jackie and Rose, uh, Martha and Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I like them. I like them as characters, and I think also in that you also get the humour of them too as well. Mm. There's not quite a lot of the characters. This is a dark story, but quite a lot of the characters are light-hearted. Yeah. Yeah, I. Or, or have or have you know certain lines that are just totally putting down the situation. Well, they're, they're sort of written in that that yokel speak, aren't they? That, well, they, yeah. they say stuff like "baint" instead of "ain't." Yeah, and, and, and you know, weirds. Which you, and it seems to be a staple of Doctor Who. If you lived in the country, yet you had to talk like a like a yokel, didn't you? Uh, but it didn't matter what where you came from. You all spoke spoke like you come from Norfolk, whether it was Kent, Sussex. You know, or anything like that. Cornwall, Devon, Dorset. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Scotland. I mean. <laughs> um, but then that 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 can be hard to be when you're writing it, mm. because it can go to a point where it's it's also it like just a, becomes almost a bit of gibberish when it's written down because you're not really. It is a uh, trying to do it, which actually this sort of didn't. This managed not to do. It's a it, yeah. I mean, it, it, it treads a very fine line of becoming a yeah. caricature, doesn't it? Yeah, really. But uh, I thought the he did expand a bit more on the Doctor Fenderman, um, Max style, and Adam Colby as well. Now Fenderman, he yeah. gives he gives a bit more of a background into sort of how he got his his fortune. But and, yeah, and now he sort of just devotes his time to well, archaeology. Really, it's like a little sideline for him. But obviously, there's more well, to it as that yeah. as, as, it, as it, the story it, goes on. It's, it's obviously yeah, you realise that he's driven to it. Yeah. It's, Something that's inside that he probably doesn't realise why he's been driven to it. No, that's it. it. Um, and the Max Stahl character. Now they've made him a bit more uh, interesting actually because they sort of tell him about his, his upbringing, how he is quite so well, so detached and, and, and cold. Yeah, and he is actually more in the book than he is on the TV. And oh, on the TV, he's gotcha. he's slightly got a an act of you know. That he can be re- can be sociable, and he does seem to be just almost until obviously he pulls the gun on Fendelman. Mm. Um, and obviously, we're, we're we're taking it that people have either read or seen the story. To yeah, this I, I'm not I'm not going to go into spoilers for a story that's nearly 
<laughs> yeah. Not 38 years old or whatever. So. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think people must take it viral for red by now that we're, this is how we do things. Yes. Um, it's, yeah, up until that point, he's just almost a very clever heavy. Mm. You That's don't right. actually yeah. think he's that sinister in, in the TV. The book is slightly different. The book is very much more a serious and dangerous character, you feel. Yeah, because they, they sort of tell that he was he's Austrian in the book. Yeah. Um, which kind of makes sense with his surname, actually. He's a very, very, um, yeah. sort of, I can put it, Teutonic uh, surname, really. Which, you, which you, you don't get that impression in the televised version at all. He's not played with a with a like a phony German accent or Austrian accent to get it to get it right. Um, so he, he's just um, it just sounds like a sinister name, doesn't it? Yeah. Style. But to, obviously, Terence Dix has sort of taken that name and thought, well, it, it makes more sense to make him Austrian or German or whatever, and, and gives him a bit of a bit of background to his childhood um, and how he was brought up and how that's how he like that's why he, he sort of was, he's gone down that path. Yeah, you know, for for power, you know, what's power over everybody? Um, so I thought it, it made him a bit more interesting. The Adam Colby character. Now I I read the book beginning of this week before I, I rewatched uh, the, the TV version, and one thing that was apparent to me is that Terence Sticks. I I felt personally that he really softened the Adam Colby character because the the ways he, the um, Edward Arthur portrays on screen he's an absolute dick yeah he's he's yeah he's not that he's 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 very self-absorbed on the on the screen isn't he yeah now he he does allude to that as soon as Fenderman mentions the whole thing about you you could be a potential Nobel um prize winner with this discovery and in the book it does sort of like go well you know there is that Nobel prize and it is you you get his thought process about okay maybe I'll better go along with Fenderman it's it's my We'll see where we go see with this. See where we go with this, yeah. Um which you don't you don't get that with the T V version because as I said he just is it, yeah. he's a dick. Is it, <laughs> he's a lot more smug, isn't he, on TV? Oh god, yeah. I mean even to the point where he's he, he's sort of he's tied up um in, in the crypt at the end. Yeah. Where Stahl's about to you know, begin the ceremony. And in the okay, in as I say, it doesn't deviate at all, and he's still gobbing off and making wisecracks in the book. But in the the TV version, it just comes across as like you think any minute now, Styles is going to pistol whip him or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, there's the there's the point in the book where it's almost uh, the 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 it's like a nervous smart thing, comments isn't are it? coming, yeah, from hysteria yeah. rather than anything else. Whereas in the book on the TV, sorry, on the TV, mm. where he says about. Uh, when Fendelman says, I trusted Steele, and, and he says, I didn't, and I'm still going to die. Yeah. If that's any consolation to you or whatever. Mm. Which he, which, you see, which in the book you do get the feeling is, is a man that's really desperate saying that. Yeah. And on TV you just think it's someone trying to be smart. Yeah. And it was. It was, it was I don't know whether that was a, a, a conscious decision of uh, the, the director or that's how the, it was written in the script. This is how this what this you know this is what yeah. this character's supposed to be like. Um, I don't know. I just felt in the, in the TV version, it was it was just a bit too over the top on on that front. Or whether it's just it just is a case that in the book you've just got so caught up into the atmosphere that that's how you imagine the character would be talking. It, possibly, it could be. It could possibly. be. It's exactly the same. Yeah, I think it's there was. Um, 
yeah, I it's think interesting. We've both interpreted it that way, though. Yeah, I know it is, isn't it? It is. Um, so it's not just. But I, th- I think you know, it's. Um, I think it's a very, very atmospheric book. He's captured it perfectly, um, especially the. I felt he captured the woodland scenes um, quite well, uh, especially when the Doctor tells uh, Jack Ty to go back and watch who's coming in and out of the Priory. Yeah, because in in the novelisation, he's hiding in the bushes. Watching what's going on, any any sort of naming the people who, who are sort of parading into the through the front door of the, of the priory, and it says like his green jacket, his battered green jacket, is sort of basically made him invisible in the bushes. And again, it it, it alludes to that whole poaching thing again, yeah. of stalking and stalking in the woods. Um, whereas in the TV version, he just po- pokes it over the top of a wall, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> in his broad daylight, with his hat on still, yeah, <laughs> like a bloody flower pot man sticking up. <laughs> Actually, I was surprised when I watched it on. T- There's bits on TV that I watched that I'd suddenly that I got into my head from reading the book that actually that scene is shot in daylight. Yeah, and I had sort of had this image of it being dusk at least. Same here, same here. I'll tell you what. There, there was one particular line. It's that bit where the Doctor tries to bring back uh, Martha Tyler after she's gone into like a psychic shock. Yeah, and he talks about. Uh, he tells Jack to make tea for four, get the best china, and I want um, and some fruit cake. I love fruitcake. Now, in the book, he goes, oh, I've got a wonderful recipe for uh, for fruitcake. You take a pound of peanuts and some apple cores, then it cuts to the next scene, and then when it comes back, he's explaining the, how he's using those ingredients in the recipe. But in, in the TV version, you don't get that thing about him saying, I know a wonderful recipe for fruitcake. It just cuts to him later on, going through this whole thing about peanuts and apple cores, and cook for two months. Cook for two months or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and also notice as well the bit um, where in in the book the doctor asks uh, Colby for a, um, a lead lead line box to put the skull in. Yeah, it doesn't and, happen, does it? It just turns happen. out of a box, doesn't it? And he it? goes, he "Ah, thank you very much." Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if it was stuff cut for running time or, or something. I, I don't know. Or just that where obviously. Terence Dix went back and thought to himself, actually, why does he bring that box? Yeah. You know, obviously, why he's bought the box is obvious later on, but doesn't necessarily... Why does he know to bring a box to the Doctor? I know. It's... <laughs> so, I mean, that's the one thing you'll find with Terence Dix novelisations, isn't it? Not necessarily that he rewrites much, or, but what he will do is he'll look to try and close up any holes in the story that you can do. Yes, that's right. He's, he's actually Just by putting very, the odd line in or whatever. Or... Yeah, he's very good at that. Very good at that. It's interesting, actually, you're saying about um, maybe it wasn't written or stuff might have been cut out. But some of the um, reviews of this saying that this was possibly an episode too long. But I, I don't see that, to no. be honest. I mean, the only the bit that seems a bit odd, actually seems more odd in the, on the TV than it did on the the in the book mm. is when they go off to try and go back to the planet 12 million years ago to try and stop it mm. from leaving which doesn't really come across on the tv much as to what they're doing no it, it just seems they've run to the tardis they've gone back can't go back find a they're stuck in a, a, a time, time loop. loop and then then come back again yeah there's no sense of dr- drama in that or they've got to get back or whatever you know well, there was that thing it says about it's sort of Leela thinking about sometimes that the... What was the explanation? I, I can't remember. I wish I'd written this down there. It was about that Leela feels that sometimes the journeys in the TARDIS take forever. 
Yeah. And she'll just go off and sleep while the Doctor sort of prowls around the TARDIS. Yeah, although and, it's travelling in time. Yeah. The TARDIS has its own internal time. Yeah, the So it. journeys can take us, can still be long or short. Yeah. And in this one, because in the TV version, she, she's just asleep on the floor. You don't know... It's a weird cut. It looks as if she's been knocked out or it something, does. doesn't it? It yeah. just turns up with a bear yeah. on the floor and jumping up with a knife as the Doctor walks back in. Exactly. But in the, in the book, it sort of goes into more about, as, as we said about, sometimes journeys appear short or long, um, and she'll just go off and take the, the opportunity to, to sleep if it's a, if it feels like a long journey. So, yeah, yeah I, think, I think, again, that probably was Terence Dix filling in the blanks, really, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's what... I- but, the, but it made a lot more sense of it what did. was going on in those things. It did. It really did. One thing that was sort of kind but also, of... But also in that, Sorry, yeah. when when she says about... Um, when he's trying to say about how energy moves across... Could move across space and whatever. Yeah. And she says, what, like lightning? Mm. In, on, in the book, the Doctor says yes, and he's quite pleased that she seems to be grasping ideas like that. Yeah. But... On the, in this, on the screen, he sort of says yes, but more in a, oh, well, yeah, go on, if you want to believe that, believe it sort of thing. Yeah, so if you, well, it's, it's easier than me trying to explain yeah, it. Yeah, so if you want to put it that way. It's, yeah. it's that sort of attitude, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Which, again, I think in the book is where, obviously, you get the feeling that Leela's quite more intelligent than given credit for on TV. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think the... Um, oh, there's one other thing I was going to... Um, Mentioned which is completely left my head, um, actually. But um, no, I was just going to say it is. uh, um, Actually, that was it. The Fendal don't really get too much of a makeover in the book either, do they? No, they really don't. Um, Or the but they're used sparingly. Really, the Fendaline, I should say, not the the Fendal. Um, But even even, like the Fendal when Fear gets taken over um, at the end, again, he doesn't really expand too much more. Than what the what the TV version went into, yeah. Um, apart from interestingly, actually, he and I, I think the Terence Dix have been critical about this before. Um, with some of the, I can put some of the more gorier aspects of Doctor because he he doesn't because in the the, the TV uh, version when Fenderman is is shot by Stahl, again it all happens off camera, which in really it, that sort of happens in the book as well, doesn't it? Yeah. But when you get back to Fendelman, or, uh, who's now dead in the TV version, you can see he's been shot in the head. Yeah, you've got the trickle of blood the trickle down of blood his head. Yeah. Which, yeah. and I, I can't remember if Doctor Who got into trouble for? Uh, yeah, wasn't there something about in this in the original scripts or whatever that was put, that they actually wanted uh, Max to put the gun into his mouth when he shot himself? That rings a bell, yeah. I seem to remember at some point there was that, some sort of yeah that does ring a bell, um, but it's still actually one of the most I think shocking things from any era of Doctor Who is that is. scene where he pleads for the gun to shoot himself and the Doctor gives it to him. Yeah, I do think in the, in the book that's handled a bit better. It's not quite as cold as it is on the TV version. Yeah, because the Doctor that he does come across a bit more apologetic or or. Um, Whereas, yeah, or gu- guilty that he can't help him. Yeah, in the TV, it's just, oh, I'm too late, and then he hands him the gun and says, "Good luck" or something, doesn't he, or mm. whatever it is. I'm sorry, isn't it, or something? Something and walks like that. Off. Yeah. 
but in the, yeah, in the, as you say, yeah, in the, in the book, he's a bit more, you know, what, what do you want the gun for? And yeah, yeah, realizing that this is actually at least given give the man a chance to to die with before what? being turned into that. Yeah, into a fed lane. Yeah, it yeah. was. Um, but as I say, as I say, Terence Dix, he, he cut out the the whole sort of bullet wound in the in the temple thing yeah. for Fenderman. But he did get more graphic with the, the decomposing Fenderlene that the doctor shot. Because it said it now sort of began, the, the corpse began to split open. Yeah. As the doctor was, was examining it. So, um, but I think, again, it's that thing of, well, it's okay for the for the monsters to have something nasty, but not with um, human beings. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's that one step removed, isn't it? Exactly. From reality, so yeah. It's you can really, do what you've always been out in Doctor Who. You've always been able to do what you want to do to the to the monsters. Mm. You can shoot and kill and whatever, blow up as many as you like, and no one's going to complain. It's always been the minute you do it to a man or a woman, you're gonna people are going to say, "Oh, shouldn't you be showing? You shouldn't be showing that." Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but no, I thought it was it was handled it was handled very well, to be honest. Mm. Without he sort of toned it down, but he didn't ruin it. Yeah, and it's still got the atmosphere, and you still got the the feeling of sh- of shock in that that this is actually yeah. happening. That the doctor would actually do that with some of the stuff. Yeah, and with that position, the other the other the other character to get a, a surprising little backstory or at mm-hmm. least description is Leaky the dog. Yes, <laughs> who is literally only mentioned that his name is Leaky once. In the on the TV seat, and, and yeah. then you just see the bit of him where he finds the body. Yeah, and he's just lying there in front of the body, and that's it. That's the only mention. But you do actually get the backstory of why he's called to the two reasons why he might have been called Leaky, and <laughs> yes, which I actually just thought was just not quite a, just a nice little bit in there, just to uh, give you a, a feeling of this is well, a normal occurrence. You know, yeah, exactly. someone, someone who goes out and. I'd like to know what happens to that dog. That dog never appears again, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Maybe he gets his own spin-off show later on or something. In the, in the uh, <laughs> Leaky and Company. <laughs> in the in the Virgin New Adventures or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, what what would, would you? I mean, we we've sort of extolled its virtues um, quite um, sort of up front now, really, and. I suppose it just sort of leaves to say, would you recommend this book to our listeners? Yes, I would. I think this book does. Uh, it, well, it, it, it's a good story. It depends. If you don't like the story, then that's not. But I think yeah. it's a good story. I think it works well. It's reasonably, it's well-paced. The thing the book does, which some books don't do, it does the cutting between scenes very well. Yes, it does. Without without you feel, without you having to think, hang a minute, well, where am I now? Hmm. Where you know what's happened, what times passed, or anything like that. Yeah, you can just fo- you follow the story. It doesn't break the story at all, or break you out of the story at all. No, it is a, a I sort of coin a, a a cliche. It's a cracking read. Yes, that's what I'm going to say. It's a cracking read. Okay, um, well, that just about sort of wraps up that review. Then, so that leads us on to what's coming up next. Now, uh, next week is a break week. So yes. Uh, yes, so Paul's done is excited. Yes, again, actually, <laughs> as, as it's break week. So um, as usual, we'll be. I'm getting the bunting out. <laughs> uh, we'll be releasing a couple of um, older episodes that haven't made their way onto the new website. I keep saying new website, but it's actually over a year old now. Um, 
I can't find another term to describe why they're not on the site yet. But um, yeah, so we'll put another couple of older episodes up. And then when we return uh, the week after, we are planning on starting our Series 2 retrospective. Yes, and we'll see how long it takes us to do that. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, week after next, we should be back with a look back at um, New Earth. Mm. And I don't, think I, I don't think I've watched that for years now. No. Mm. It's going to be interesting now, going back to Rose, isn't it? It is going back to Rose. And also very, very early David Tennant. Yeah. As well. So, yes, could be interesting. Or it could be a complete utter bloody washout. <laughs> Who knows? Either way, listeners... Uh, well, you lose. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. So, until we return in a couple of weeks' time, it is goodbye from me, Phil, and goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. Listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.